Hey guys, today on the podcast, I have a nurse practitioner named Lauren Haynes. She's the owner of Integrated Sexual Wellness. She's also developing a coaching program right now for men with sexual dysfunction. That's kind of like her specialty. And today we have her on the podcast to talk about STIs 101. Y'all know how I love a 101. Um, as always, let us know if something that we talk about today is extra in interesting. Do you want us to dive deeper? If you want to have Lauren come back on, we can always do a round two or round three. You guys tell us what you need. So Lauren, would you take a few minutes and please tell us about you, about your practice, about your passion? We're super glad you're here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Lauren Haynes. I'm a board certified nurse practitioner and I specialize in sexual health. So I do all things sexual health right now. So whether that's STI testing and treatment, um, sexual dysfunction treatment, prep for HIV prevention, birth control, all that good stuff. Um, so that's really my specialty. Um, and I have been working with patients with STIs since 2014. Um, and it's, it's something that I'm super passionate about is really just helping kind of spread the word of, um, you know, STIs, who has them, why they're so common and kind of breaking down some of that stigma. I love that. So I want today's energy and I want what you get out of this to be that a lot of the population have STIs. It shouldn't be shameful. It should be something that we can talk about with our partners. We shouldn't be shit, you know, feeling afraid to share this information. And so that's why we have Lauren on today. Um, I found her through Instagram. She's very public, very open, very fun, talks about this kind of content all the time and really helping to normalize it. And so I knew that I had to have her come on the podcast. So Lauren and I have a list of things that you listeners have asked about that you want to hear about. And we're going to start with some basics. This is a one, a one-on-one conversation. So let's start with Lauren. Can you tell us the difference between an STI and an STD? Absolutely. So people really use, um, STI and STD interchangeably. Uh, but there is a difference. So STI is really what we're talking about when we're talking about the infection. So chlamydia, gonorrhea, those types of things. Um, STIs don't always turn into a disease. So that's the big difference. So chlamydia and gonorrhea, if left untreated, can potentially turn into a disease like pelvic inflammatory disease or other things. Um, but for the, the grand scheme of everything, it's really infections that we're going to be talking about. Awesome. That's helpful. Okay. How does one know that they have male or female gonorrhea or chlamydia? How do you know that in your body? You don't, <laughs> you have to really? get tested. Yeah. There's really, um, it's very unlikely to show symptoms. Most cases of chlamydia, most cases of gonorrhea don't actually show any symptoms, which is why it's so important to get screened regularly to be able to tell if you have anything like that. Which leads me to my next question. How regular is regularly? Cause I, when I first opened up into the lifestyle and started to have sex with people, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to keep me safe. And I want to keep you safe. And I love everyone. And I want to keep the whole world safe. And I went to my nurse practitioner and told her these things. And I'm like, I want to test every month. And she was like, Jen, that's a lot. And when I talk to people in open lifestyles, typically once a year, is normal. Um, twice a year is you really, truly care a lot and want to be very safe. 
I would love to hear your response. What is normal, regular, what's appropriate? Yeah, so it really depends on your individual risk factors. So if you're in these lifestyles, but you're using condoms or barrier protection 100% of the time, then your risk is going to be different than someone who um, is engaging in sex with multiple partners, but isn't using any of these barrier protections. Um, it's also going to be different. You know, I, I work with people who work in the sex industry and porn, and they get tested every two weeks, religiously every two weeks. Um, and I think that's great. I think that helps prevent a lot of STIs from spreading. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's other people that are in long-term monogamous relationships that, you know, might get tested every couple of years or whenever they think about it or, you know, things like that. So it really depends on your individual risk factors in the best way to kind of determine how often you should be screened is by having a good conversation with a trusted medical provider. So whether that's your primary care doctor, your OBGYN, um, any sort of men's health, women's health expert, um, just kind of tell them, especially too, what types of sex you have, how often you're having it, how many different partners, if you're using protection or not, um, because you may also want to be screened in other areas that you don't typically think about. So your, your throat, your anus, you know, things like that, you know, we need to kind of put into play here too. So all sorts of fun things to think about. Awesome. I never thought about all of those other <laughs> holes to get tested. That's amazing. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I love this conversation. Okay. So I think the next level deeper to this is, okay. So now you've talked about the kind of STIs you've talked about how often and frequently to get tested based on your risk factors. I think some people might be curious, like what kind of testing are you referring to? Is this a full blood panel and everything? Is this a pee in the cup? Because you're most concerned about, you know, the most common STIs. Give us some info on that. Yeah. So it's really whatever, um, you know, you and your healthcare provider want you to be tested for. Um, I am always, uh, wanting to do more testing than less testing. You know, it is annoying to get poked with a needle a few times a year, whatever, to screen for syphilis and HIV. Um, but those ones really can't be screened in other ways. And so I would recommend kind of doing all of it if you're at risk. So if you are someone who is having sex with multiple partners, not using condoms and things like that, and you want to get screened every month, um, I would do all of it, to be honest. Um, so HIV, syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, trichomoniasis. Um, the only thing I don't typically screen for is herpes. And the reason for that is a lot of people will come to me and say, oh, look, I have a, a herpes test. It came back positive for HSV2. You know, I want to start treatment to make sure I don't spread this to my partners. And that's great. But if they've never had an outbreak, we don't know if they have genital herpes or if they have oral herpes, um, because you can have HSV2 in both places and the treatment can kind of differ based on that. Um, so herpes isn't something I typically screen for unless someone has symptoms. Okay. So as you've just given us a wide array of different Sorry. <laughs> types of STIs, no, no, this is perfect because it leads to my next question which are the most common, you know, cause I have always heard that herpes is super common, but if you can't even get tested because you've never had an outbreak, then you're out there like spreading it around to everyone until someone finally has an outbreak. And then they're like, Oh, I might've given this to, you know, 15 people. Can you give us an idea of what's most common? What are you, um, you know, potentially subjecting yourself to getting if you choose to go, you know, be sexual with people? 
Yeah. And this helps normalize too. Cause I think when people are like, if, if half of the population has an STI, like, what am I afraid of? Or like, why is it shameful? Yes. And that's so true. And that's actually like a statistic over half, over half of people will have an STI in their lifetime in the United States. So more than 50% of people, most people will have an STI at some point. Um, I think like 20% of the population has one at any given time. Um, but most people will get one at some point. Um, so it's definitely not something that should be stigmatized. Um, but in terms of the most common STIs, HPV is definitely the most common. Really? Um, and HPV isn't um, screened for super often. It's usually like your annual OBGYN exam um, or every couple of years when you get a pap smear, they kind of add it on. Um, so it's not screened very often, but it is the most common. And it's estimated that if you're sexually active, you're going to get HPV at some point in your life. You know, typically the virus will clear on its own. It won't cause any symptoms or give you any issues, but it's just so widespread. Um, and there's no treatment for it and we can treat the symptoms, but we really can't treat the virus. Um, and so it's super, super common. I think over 13 million Americans get diagnosed with HPV every year. So I would say that is definitely the most common one followed by herpes. Absolutely. Cause herpes, you know, I mean, any of those viruses, you, once you get them, you have them forever. Um, mm-hmm. so it's going to be, yeah, definitely more common. Hmm. What are the, uh, symptoms of HPV? They can like really, how would you know you might yeah, have it? They can really be different for, um, different people. Um, a big one that we see is like genital warts. So you might have warts, um, around your genitalia, around your anus. Um, and those can be treated with medications. Um, it's not necessarily going to cure the HPV, but those warts can be treated. Um, people can also have uh, lesions or precancerous cells on their cervix, um, which also can be treated to help prevent it from turning into like a high-grade cancer. Awesome. Well, we've already gotten pretty deep into HPV. Can you do the same with herpes? Like, how do you know if you have it? Is there a treatment plan? Like you're saying with either of these, once you get it, you have them forever. So, you know, you're not probably going to die. So like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So herpes, um, definitely. I mean, you know, you typically know that you have it because you might feel bumps or pain or tingling or things like that coming on. Um, and if you see a medical provider, they can do a blood test for herpes. They can do a, um, like a swab. If there's any sores that are like open and draining, um, that's probably the most accurate to get an accurate diagnosis of herpes. Um, but absolutely, even though herpes can't be cured, it can definitely be treated. There are medications that can help with the symptoms and that can also help prevent transmission to other partners. Okay. So we've talked about two that once you get it, you always have them. Um, do you want to talk about any more different types of STIs that people might get and like what it might feel like, or what, what is a treatment plan like, or like, it's not the end of the world. Here's how you handle it. Yeah. So, um, so the only other, uh, viral STI, um, that's coming to my mind right now is HIV. And so that's another one medications, you know, you're not going to be cured, but medications can absolutely help prevent symptoms, help prevent it from turning into AIDS and help prevent transmission to your partner. 
Um, and then the more, um, the STIs that are kind of more prevalent that you hear about are bacterial STIs. So like chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. Um, and those bacterial STIs can all be treated and cured with medications right now. Awesome. So we do have several questions from people that input questions when I asked yesterday on my social media, <laughs> what STI questions do you have? But I would like to ask you one more thing before we get into that. And that's, yeah. um, maybe let's do some role-playing me and you. Okay. <laughs> so I have, I have an STI. I've, I've realized that I have one. I take a test and maybe you're my partner. Like, what mm -hmm. does the conversation look like? How can we empower people that are listening to have the conversation? Maybe give me a couple variations of like, what could this sound like? Um, how do you have that conversation with someone that you want to have sex with or are having sex with, or, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, have been having sex with. And now all of a sudden you realize maybe you got something from them. Like what does this all look like? Can you empower us with some conversation? Absolutely. Yeah, there are, um, you know, obviously it's going to change depending on the scenario. So if you're someone that has something like herpes and you are out there dating, you're online dating, you're meeting people for the first time, um, it can really depend what feels best for you. I know there are people that will just put that out in their dating profile and say, look, this is it. If you can't accept me as I am, then I don't even want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's great if you feel um, strong enough to do that, I guess. <laughs> um, but then there's also people who don't want to share that and that's fine too. Um, what I would recommend is, you know, wait a couple of dates, see if this is someone that you're actually going to be interested in, not to the point where you're really emotionally invested yet, but wait a couple of dates, um, and then bring it up and say, Hey, you know, just letting you know, um, my last STI test was four months ago. I found out that I have herpes. I'm on this type of medication to help prevent the spread to anybody. When was your last STI test? And that kind of puts it back in their court because they can say, oh, what? I don't want to deal with you. You have herpes. But then it's like, well, what if you have herpes? Do you even know? Like, have you gotten tested in the last year or two? You know, and a lot of times the answer is no. Um, so that's what I rec recommend for those kind of new scenarios and those new relationships. Um, in terms of if you're with a partner, um, maybe you have multiple partners and you kind of have to disclose to them. Um, that would be something along the lines of, you know, Hey, I figured I would get tested, you know, or maybe I've had a couple symptoms. Maybe I've had some, um, uh, vaginal discharge or painful urination or that type of thing. Um, so I went and got tested. Turns out I have chlamydia. Um, I just want to let you know so that you can protect yourself as well. Um, this is the medication that I started on, you know, I'll go and get retested. They just told me not to have sex for a week. Um, and we'll be, you know, we'll be good to go. And I think sometimes if you phrase it as, you know, this is this life altering, horrible, tragic thing, then your partner is more likely to respond with a tragic response, right? Versus if you kind of approach it in um, almost like a disconnect, not disconnected, but um, kind of removed a little bit from it and just like matter of fact, this is what I have. This is the treatment. It's not a death sentence. This is how many people in the world have chlamydia. 
you know, I was bound to get it at some point, you know, and this is kind of, you know, go see your doctor, get on some medication and we'll continue on with our life. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for normalizing this conversation, because I think a lot of people never see the behind the scenes Mm. conversation that happens. It's almost like the COVID thing, right? Like, okay, I finally got it. Everybody else got it, you know, (laughs) painted or bad or whatever. Oh, it's so true. Um, Yeah. Right. All right. You ready to get into some listener questions? I'm ready. This is like firing round or something. I feel like. <laughs> okay. Uh, the first one says, can you suggest some ways to stop shaming people with STDs? Um, yeah. So, I mean, just don't shame them, right? I mean, don't shame anybody for anything, but definitely don't shame them for sex and STIs. I mean, to be honest, I don't think that, um, the shame is really around the STI or the infection itself. I think the shame is around sex, which is, you know, dumb, but we have this like purity culture where we, not we, but other people think that sex is this thing that should be done between two partners who love each other and are in a committed monogamous relationship. And that's just not realistic. And so anything that occurs outside of that, and especially if it, um, Uh, is coinciding with STIs and things like that. I think that people can feel a lot of shame, um, but it's not at the infection. It's at, because you have an alternative sexual lifestyle or because you enjoy sex or because you have sex outside of, you know, one specific person that's never had sex with anyone else. And you've never had sex with anyone else, you know, anything outside of that um, has this shame that goes along with it. And we need to somehow do work. And I think podcasts like this help and getting the word out there that so many people have STIs and I've even had patients, their first sexual encounter, they've gotten an STI. Um, you know, so we just need to kind of break down that stigma. Love it. Okay. Uh, the next one is, um, this one feels like a statement. So I wonder if I can word it in a question. Um, (laughs) What are some ways that you can stress the importance of knowing your status and discussing it with partners? Yeah. We did a little bit of role-playing, but what else do you have? Yeah. So definitely knowing your status. So kind of, like I said before, a lot of STIs don't show symptoms. So knowing your status is super important to protect yourself, but also to protect other people, to protect your community. Um, so definitely get screened regularly, work with your healthcare provider. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, discussing it with your partners, that's definitely something that we we kind of covered, um, but it's definitely important to let them know if they've been exposed to any STIs or if you think that they might have given it to you or you gave it to them, it doesn't really matter, but um, it's definitely important to have that open dialogue with them. I know that this conversation has already helped me in ways. So my last test was, I think, last December. And at that point, I was still having an open relationship with people. I'm now with a primary and exclusive partner. Um, and there were months of overlap where before we were monogamous, I was still sleeping with other people. We just talked about this the other night because I'm 
I'm in a course where this week we're talking about STIs <laughs> and they're encouraging everybody to go get an STI kit on Amazon. Like it can be that easy. It also, I mean, probably is better to go to a nurse or, or you can talk about that if you want. Um, but she was like, it's so accessible. Like you should know your status. And as you've been talking about chlamydia and gonorrhea, and, and then those two things, not even having any symptoms, um, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I do. Maybe I could have something. I don't even know. So I'll definitely be going back to get tested in the next few months as I get closer to my year mark with my nurse practitioner. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Really anytime, like after you've had unprotected sex, um, we recommend just getting screened just to make sure that you didn't, you know, that nothing's positive or anything like that. Um, and then also the, I know you touched on like kits on Amazon. I can't really speak to the kits on Amazon, but there are a lot of companies. I actually work part-time for one. I'll do a little plug. It's called TBD health. Um, they do at-home STI testing kits, uh, where the kit just gets delivered to your house. Um, there are other companies that do that. And the benefit is that at-home STI testing is just as reliable as the testing that you do in your doctor's office. You can just kind of do it from the comfort of your own home, mail it in, and, uh, you know, you can do a virtual <laughs> visit kind of like we're doing. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to be um, like a in-clinic or in-lab type of a thing. Um, thank you for like, elaborating on yeah. that. And I noticed on Amazon, cause you know, with my course, I was like, Oh, it's available. There's a bunch of different ones. There's like a $59 one that just tests, you know, gonorrhea and chlamydia. And then there's like 150 and then there's, so which one do you suggest people get if they're going to regularly test? Yeah. I always go for the, the biggest one, you know, the one you can test like, for the most. What's 150? Um, Come on. Know, just do it all. Um, yeah, cause there, there are, there are ones that are just kind of basic. And then there's ones that are like a little bit more extensive. So like chlamydia, gonorrhea, trichomoniasis, and then usually there's some sort of ability to do like a finger prick for, um, like HIV and syphilis, which is cool. Um, I think there are other test kits that also test for non STI things. So like, um, yeast, if you're having symptoms like yeast infections, um, UTIs, you know, those type of things all kind of built in. So if you're having painful urination, is it an STI? Is it a urinary tract infection? Is it something else? And so it kind of compiles all these tests into one kit and you can try and try and figure it out for yourself at home. <laughs> what is trichomoniasis? Trichomoniasis. Yeah. It's nice. just another STI. Um, you know, if you do have symptoms, sometimes it's this like green frothy discharge. Um, it's treated with antibiotics. Cool. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of it until yeah. at least recently. Cause it must not be like <laughs> as popular as the other one. Yeah. It's not, it's not as common as the other ones. Okay. Here's the next question. What is the latest on so-called superbugs, gonorrhea and syphilis that resist antibiotics? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so yeah, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, all of them, um, we've been starting to see more resistance in um, the bacteria in terms of like what antibiotics we can use to treat them. The antibiotics are becoming less and less effective. Um, and so the, the bacteria are developing these like super human strengths where they fight off every bacteria or every antibiotic that we try and throw at it. Um, and so gonorrhea is really the one on the forefront of this because we used to treat gonorrhea with a bunch of different antibiotics. They all um, developed resistance. And then now we have one class of antibiotics that we can use to treat gonorrhea. 
And even that is starting to become less effective. The gunnery is starting to become resistant to it. Um, and so scientists and researchers are working on testing out different um, antibiotic combinations. They're trying to create new antibiotics just to treat this. Um, so it's definitely something that uh, is an issue, but traditionally for the most part, uh, people can be treated um, and cured with the medication that's available now. Awesome, thank you. So I know we talked about HPV. This is an HSV1 question. Okay. I'm not even sure if that's the same thing. Maybe you can give us some education on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this says, can you give us some facts and information on HSV1? Some 70 to 80% of adults have it, I think. Yeah, so HSV1 is traditionally um, oral herpes. So there's HSV-1, HSV-2. So HSV-1 is traditionally oral herpes. HSV-2 is traditionally genital herpes. Okay, so like a cold Um, sore on your Yes, absolutely. Yep, like a cold sore, fever, blister, whatever you want to call them. (laughs) All the same. All those things. But yeah, I mean, HSV-1 or cold sores, oral herpes, whatever you want to call it, super, super, super common. I don't think we have um, like legitimate statistics, but it's estimated that, yeah, up to 80% of the population has them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but also there are oral, um, oral lesions that can be HSV2 instead of HSV1. Um, and there are genital lesions that can be HSV1 instead of HSV2. They can kind of intermingle because, um, you know, if you have a fever blister on your lip, if you have HSV1 on your lip, and then you perform oral sex on your partner, they can actually develop genital herpes from that lesion that's on your lip. Um, so it's definitely important to kind of know, you know, if you do have any sort of oral outbreak, try and keep your mouth away from anybody. If you have some sort of genital outbreak, try and keep your genitals away from anybody, uh, while you have an outbreak. Okay. Can you talk to us about canker sores? Is this also HSV1 or is this different? No, canker sores are like a whole different thing. (laughs) Don't even worry about those. They go away. Yep. Oh my gosh. This is so fun. Okay. I have one more. What should we say to ensure that we are getting an actual full panel test? That's a great question. Cause I know with my doctors, my nurse practitioner, she was like, are you sure you want all of it? (laughs) And she was like, it's expensive. I was like, I don't fucking care. Like Mm -hmm. do the whole thing. So talk to us about how do we get a full, full panel? And what does Mm -hmm. that even mean? What does that entail? Yeah, so you really have to, um, unfortunately, probably ask for it because a lot of medical providers really don't take the time to go through a comprehensive sexual history. They're not asking you about your oral sex practices, your anal sex practices. You know, they're not asking you all these questions that they probably should be asking. So they don't know that you should be screened um, other places, right? The, you know, vaginal swabs, anal swabs, oral swabs, all those type of things. So unless they ask those questions, which a lot of times they don't, you really have to be that person um, and advocate for yourself and say, you know, listen, I heard that I should be tested in this orifice and this orifice and this orifice. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that I want to be tested for. Um, And yeah, it's really just kind of being your own advocate, finding things online, doing your own research and saying, okay, well, Google tells me I should be tested for all these things. I mean, I wouldn't use Google. I would use the CDC or, you know, I love the WebMD told me. <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't you know, realize that you, you really have to ask. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I didn't realize you can have STIs in different orifices. I guess I just always thought that they would present themselves on your genitals. I mean, unless it's on your face, right. But you could have it like in your throat, but not down there. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. If you have like recurrent, um, sore throats and you're tested for strep and you're tested for mono and nothing's coming back. Yeah. There's a lot of times it can be chlamydia or gonorrhea that you can have in your throat. That's really treated the same way. And then same thing. Um, a lot of STIs that are in like the anal area don't show a lot of symptoms. Sometimes you can have a little discharge. Um, but yeah, that's also, also a location as well. Okay. So, so I went on your website and I saw you're not taking any new patients. Um, you've given us some ideas on, you know, if we have a, a doctor or a nurse practitioner or an OBGYN things to advocate for ourselves on, um, do you have any other suggestions for people that are like, I, but I want someone like Lauren, I want someone that <laughs> really cares. That's really going to, uh, listen to me and do the testing that I am requesting for my own body. Do you have any other suggestions or empowerment around that? Yes. Well, definitely, um, put your email into my website because I might be accepting more patients soon. Um, but I would recommend, you know, just trying to find a sex positive provider. Um, so try and ask around to your friends, your family. If you see a therapist, you can ask them your PCP, um, just to see if you can find someone that is sex positive. You don't ever want to feel like judged or shamed for asking questions or for the type of sex that you're having. Um, so if you feel any of those things, it's definitely a sign that you should probably find somebody else. Um, but yeah, word of mouth right now is really the best way to go about that. Awesome. That's super helpful. What have I not asked you that I should have? Oh, good question. Honestly, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I'm trying to think of anything now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I really just want to get across is that, you know, having an STI doesn't, um, mean, anything, you know, because most people will get one. Um, so it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're deserving of any sort of shame or disrespect. Um, it's just a part of life, just like a common cold or the flu or COVID. Um, so there are ways to protect yourself and absolutely try and protect yourself as best you can. Um, but having an STI is definitely nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you for that. And would you list one more time your areas of expertise in case listeners are like, oh, I really want to hear about like men's sexual health or ED, or could you name those off for us? Yes, absolutely. For So STIs for sure. And then um, definitely my big uh, area of focus right now is men's sexual health, sexual dysfunction, erectile, dysfun- erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation um, in ways that men can find Uh, pleasure and treat ED without medication. So using kind of some alternative therapies. Mm, That sounds amazing. We should totally talk (laughs) about that at some point. All right. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for this empowering conversation. Um, I feel like I learned a ton and I hope that our listeners did too. And then as always, let us know if you have additional questions and we'll have Lauren come back on or we'll pop in and and answer those questions for you. Um, I'm also going to put links to her um, Instagram, her, her website, and I guess that's it. If there's anything else you can think of that you want to share, Lauren, let me know and we'll put them in the show notes. 
Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye.